Tale nine of the story of King Arthur. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Russell Newton. The story of King Arthur in twelve tales by Winona Caroline Martin. Tale number nine: The Coming of Galahad. My good blade carves the casks of men. My tough lance thrusteth sure. My strength is as the strength of ten, because my heart is pure. Tennyson's Sir Galahad Again the Pentecostal time was drawing near, and Arthur had decided to keep the feast on this occasion at Camelot instead of at Caerleon, according to his usual custom. For many days beforehand, from north and south and east and west, such of the knights as had been able to achieve their quests had come riding into the city, anxious to take part in that most famous gathering of all the year which commemorated the day of their sovereign's birth as well as his coronation day. So that on the eve of the great feast a discovery was made of something which had never been known to occur before since the founding of the round table. Every one of the hundred and forty-nine knights of the order was in his place, and the siege perilous alone still stood empty. While that goodly company, the flower of Britain's manhood, sat thus circled about their king and queen, rejoicing in the unusual event, a maiden was ushered into the great hall, and led courteously by one of the knights to the foot of the throne. There, after having made obeisance to her sovereigns, she asked the question that had come from the lips of so many damsels in distress. "'Your Majesty, can you tell me if the great Sir Launcelot is here?' "'That is Sir Launcelot,' replied the king, with an inclination of his head toward him who sat in the third seat from the mystic siege perilous. "'Sir Launcelot,' said the maiden, stepping up to the court favorite who had risen to meet her, "'I am sent to you by King Pelles, he who years ago received the dolorous stroke. He requests that, without asking any questions, you ride with me to an abbey in a forest not very far from here.' "'I will go most willingly, maiden,' replied Launcelot, "'if the king permits.' Arthur was about to give his consent when the queen interrupted him, saying, "'My lord, to-morrow is our great feast-day, and for once, perhaps for the last time, who knows, we are all together. May not Sir Launcelot delay this quest for twenty-four hours?' At this it was the maiden's turn to interrupt. "'Your majesty,' she said, addressing Guinevere, "'let him come with me now, and I promise you that he shall be back before noon to-morrow.' So Launcelot armed himself for the mysterious quest, and followed the damsel along devious paths until they reached the heart of a deep forest where there stood an old abbey. As the gates swung open at their approach, there issued from one of the side doors twelve holy nuns clad in spotless white raiment, one of whom was leading a young man, scarcely more than a boy in years, yet marvelously tall and stalwart-looking. "'Sir,' said the gentle sister to Launcelot, "'this young squire is the grandson of King Pelles, who, however, has not seen him since his childhood, for he was early left to our care. He is strong and brave and noble, and has been taught all that a prince should know. It is time, therefore, that he be made a knight, so at his own request we have sent for the greatest member of Arthur's round table to confer that honor upon him.' Then Launcelot turned his gaze upon the youth, and thought that he had never seen so wonderful a face, for besides its manly beauty it showed courage and hope, and the rich flush and glow of a great inspiration, which caused the mighty knight's heart to contract with sudden pain as the memory of his own lost youth rose up before him. Then a strange feeling took possession of him, and he seemed to hear a voice whispering in his ear, "'He has come. He has come.' but all he could trust himself to say aloud was, Then let him watch his arms in your chapel to-night, and in the morning he shall receive the order of knighthood. 
So it was done, and while the others slept, the young man kept his holy vigil, praying that he might ever remain true to his vows. With the first flush of dawn came the good sisters, filing in one by one, bearing lighted tapers, and ranged themselves about the altar. And last of all came Launcelot, who fastened the lad's golden spurs, after which he gave him three strokes with the flat of his sword, saying reverently, May God make you as brave and true as you are good to look upon. Then, when the ceremony was at an end, Launcelot turned to the new knight and inquired, Will you now ride with me to Camelot to pay homage to the king? But the youth answered, Not yet, sir knight, for the time has not come for me to go to court. Nevertheless, I shall join you there before very long. So Launcelot, pondering these things in his heart, returned alone, and arrived, as the maiden had promised, in ample time for the feast, which was set for high noon. Then began that day of days, the most marvelous of all the great white king's reign. As Launcelot rode in, he found the knights assembled in the throne room, according to their time-honored custom, awaiting the report of that unusual occurrence which would permit the feast to begin. Scarcely had he taken his place among them when a squire appeared before the king, saying, Sire, down by the river I have seen a wonderful sight indeed, a block of red marble, in which is sticking a sword with a hilt of curious workmanship, floating on the water like a piece of common wood. That is truly a marvel, exclaimed Arthur, and one well worth our going to see. Accordingly the king and queen, with all the knights and ladies of the court, filed down to the river's brink, where they beheld, just as the squire had said, an immense block of red marble, with a sword sticking in it, floating on the waves. They stood there watching it for a while, until presently it was cast ashore at Arthur's feet. Then the king espied an inscription, written in weird letters which twined in and out among the jewels of the hilt, and proceeded to read it aloud. Never shall man take me hence, but only he by whom I ought to hang, and he shall be the best knight of the world. For a moment there was silence. Then Arthur turned to Launcelot, saying, This sword ought to be yours, my friend, for where in all the world is there a better knight than you? But Launcelot, remembering his adventure of the morning and looking down into the depths of his own tempest-tossed soul, shook his head and answered humbly, Sire, I know full well that this weapon is not for such as I. Therefore, I will not set my hand to it. Moreover, I advise no other knight here present to attempt to draw it, lest he receive a deadly wound. So the whole company turned back toward the hall, questioning among themselves what these strange things might mean, and there awaited them the second wonder, for as each man prepared to take his rightful place about the mystic table, he noticed a new luster proceeding from that empty seat which was known as the Siege Perilous. Presently, each became aware of the fact that the old inscription was gone from the back of the siege, and that a new one had taken its place bearing these words. Four hundred winters, and fifty-four accomplished after the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, ought this siege to be fulfilled. Then Launcelot, thinking of the lad who he had knighted that morning in the forest, turned pale, and exclaimed in an odd voice, Sire! According to that count, the siege should be filled this very day, for this is the Feast of Pentecost, after the 454th year, and if it please you, I should like to cover these letters, that none may behold them, till the coming of him who shall achieve the adventure. Then, having received the king's permission, he took a cloth of purest white silk, and reverently laid it upon the chair, thus veiling it from curious eyes. After that, with a strange, tense feeling of something impending, the knights were about to turn their attention to the banquet, so long delayed by excessive marvels, when the third wonder of the day presented itself. Suddenly, all the doors and windows of the palace shut of their own accord, yet the hall was not greatly darkened. Then there appeared in their midst the figure of what seemed to be an old man, although he was cloaked and hooded in raiment of dazzling whiteness, so that no one could see his face. 
and with him was a young knight in flame-colored armor, by whose side hung an empty scabbard, for he bore neither sword nor shield. In an instant Launcelot recognized the youth whom he had knighted that morning, and he was, therefore, not surprised to see their mysterious guest lead him to the foot of the throne, and raise his hand in blessing, saying, Peace be with you, knights of the round table. Then, addressing the king, Sire, I bring you here a young knight that is of royal lineage and of the family of Joseph of Arimathea. By him shall the marvels of this court be fully accomplished, for the world has been awaiting his coming these many years. Then the aged man, who was none other than Joseph of Arimathea himself, caused the youth to lay aside his armor, and threw upon his shoulders a scarlet mantle trimmed with richest ermine, after which, saying, Follow me, he led him to the siege perilous. And as the young man stood there, with a strange rapt look upon his face, as if he had a vision of things to which the rest were blinded, Launcelot's covering of white silk was raised by an invisible hand, so that all present might read the inscription, which was now changed for the second time that day. This is the seat of Galahad, the best knight in all the world. An awed hush fell upon the company, while the youth stood before his rightful place with lowered eyes. Suddenly, all became aware of the fact that the saintly Joseph had vanished as mysteriously as he had appeared. Then Arthur recovered himself sufficiently to speak. Sir Galahad, said he, you are indeed welcome to a place that has stood vacant, awaiting your coming for so many, many years. Yet before you take your seat, we should like to see you achieve another adventure. Will you come with me to the river's brink? So the king led the way with the whole court following, and when they stood at the water's edge, he said gravely, Try, Sir Galahad, if you can draw that sword from the marble, for then we shall know beyond all question that you are that best knight in all the world. See, your majesty, replied the youth still with becoming modesty, I have no sword with me, only this empty scabbard, for I knew that I should find my weapon here, as I shall later find my shield. Then he laid his hand on the bejeweled hilt, and lightly drew the hole from its stony sheath, after which he placed it in his own scabbard, saying, That sword has done great mischief, for it was the cause of the dolorous stroke, and furthermore it was the fateful weapon with which a good man slew his brother. I pray, therefore, that I may be able to do enough good with it to wipe out the curse. Yes, truly, there was no doubt of it now. The best knight of all the world was indeed among them at last. Yet the king's face was sad as he led the way back, for he had a strange premonition that the days of his round table were drawing to a close, and there is always sadness in finality, even though it be the finality of fulfillment. When they regained the hall, Galahad knelt to take upon himself that great vow of the order, as is a shame a man should not be bound by, yet the which no man yet had been fully able to keep to reverence the king as if he were their conscience, and their conscience as their king, to break the heathen and uphold the Christ, to ride abroad redressing human wrongs, to speak no slander, no, nor listen to it, to honor his own word as if his God's, to lead sweet lives and purest chastity, to love one maiden only, cleave to her, and worship her by years of noble deeds, until they won her. And as the words fell from his lips, there was a light upon his face which brought back to Arthur's mind the day when Launcelot, in the first flush of his young manhood, had sworn that same oath, while all had believed that he would prove to be the one perfect knight without fear and without reproach. Presently Galahad arose from his knees. Then, while all present held their breath, he turned and quietly and reverently took his seat in the wondrous siege perilous. Thus at last, for the first time since Merlin had made it for Arthur's royal father, Uther Pendragon, 
every one of the hundred and fifty seats of the mystic round table was occupied and then suddenly the great hall grew dark and there came a sound of cracking and writhing and rending of the roof with a mighty blast of thunder overhead then into the blackness through an upper window there stole one broad gleam of dazzling sunlight seven times more clear than the ordinary light of day presently down the beam there slowly glided a soft red glow moving toward the siege which galahad filled none present save one only could see distinctly what it was for although its general shape was that of a goblet yet it was covered with soft white silk and seemed furthermore to be enshrouded in a sort of luminous cloud through which its resplendence shone filling the room with its glory it moved on as if some unseen hand were guiding it until at last it rested in a blaze of splendor above the siege perilous and in that light each man beheld his brother not as he really was but as he had prayed and longed and striven all his life to become not more than a moment did it remain then it passed leaving but the red glow behind which in its turn presently faded into the light of common day one two three minutes went by and still the awed silence remained unbroken for all realized that the holy thing which had passed was none other than the mystic grail presently gawain he who had once been faithless in the king's quest arose and holding his sword aloft with the crossed shape hilt upward instead of the point cried aloud sire i know not how it may have been with the others but as for me i did not see the sacred cup plainly therefore i make this vow to leave this goodly fellowship and to seek the grail for a year and a day at the end of that time if i have not found it i will return believing that the achievement of this quest is not for me then in a moment every sword in the room was raised not in the old way but as gawain had held his crossed shape hilt upward while instead of the usual simultaneous cry each man began to make the vow separately to seek the sacred chalice until he should see it in open vision after a while all had sworn save only the new knight in the flame-colored robe so arthur turned to him saying wonderingly sir knight did you see plainly the holy grail to which the youth replied sire i saw it and a heavenly host as well which filled the hall furthermore i heard a voice crying galahad galahad follow me therefore i now swear to pursue this quest not only for a year and a day but for my whole life if need be until i achieve once again the perfect vision then the king bowed his head exclaiming ah galahad galahad this quest is indeed for such as you whose strength is as the strength of ten because your heart is pure then turning to his other knights he added sadly but you o oh my friends have you thought that you may thus be forsaking your plain duty to follow not a great light such as galahad's but a wandering fire which will lead you at last into the quagmire i your king may not go upon this quest for god has given me my kingdom to rule therefore my place is here yet how crippled shall my work be henceforth for when the cries of this great land pass through this hall your places will be vacant and there will be none to send out to right the wrongs of the weak and the oppressed nevertheless now that they are made your vows are sacred and perchance you may become better men by seeking even that which you are destined never to find go therefore but before you depart let us have one more tournament on the old tilting ground that once again i may see the yet unbroken strength of all my knights so when the next morning came the famous old field of combat was thronged with spectators more eager than ever before to hear the sounding of the trumpets for a rumor had already spread abroad concerning the wonders of the preceding day the king and the queen sat together beneath the royal canopy 
and looked down upon their knights with faces where pride and pain strove for mastery for never before had camelot seen so many brave deeds done so many lances broken in attorney no man was there in the field that day who failed to do himself credit yet wherever arthur and guinevere looked they seemed to see only the glow of galahad's flame-covered mail and the flash of his burnished arms never once did his horse falter never once did his spear fail and though he bore no shield every lance that touched his armor was instantly shattered they noticed however that while every knight against whom he charged went down he never came near launcelot or bors or percival so that they too did nobly in the tournament when all was over the king called the young hero to his side and looking long into his eyes said in a voice which trembled slightly galahad i have seen this day the best that a knight can do but the end came at last early the following morning with prancing chargers flying banners waving plumes and glittering arms that glorious company the flower of men rode to camelot's great cathedral where they knelt to receive the blessing of the archbishop on the quest after which the king ordered the roll to be called and it was found that not one was missing a hundred and fifty men in all every knight of the round table so they remounted their horses and rode on through the dim rich city between long lines of people who were weeping silently for they seemed to realize as did arthur and guinevere that many of them were riding to their doom presently they passed through the gate where the white king's wars were rendered mystically and out to the broad highway for a while the king and queen gazing upon the disappearing host from the battlements of the castle could distinguish here a shield and there a banner and would whisper to each other see that is lancelot's and that is boar's and that is percival's while every now and then a flash of scarlet caused them to exclaim ah that was galahad but before long they could see only a bright spot in the road where the morning sunlight glanced upon the burnished arms and presently even that grew smaller and smaller until at last a mist that had arisen before their own eyes blotted it forever from their sight such was the passing of the round table to the lingering gaze of its founder like the setting of a star end of tale nine